All right, Ilya, once again this week, you can go first. All What's right. your main focus for climate change policy? Well, so we'll, uh, we kind of left this one, we kind of left this one open ended. So let's see what you got. So, I mean, obviously, the big focus when it comes to like climate change policy and really kind of creating something that like encompasses really everything that you want um, a climate change policy to uh, cover. The biggest focus is on creating the most hospitable and a sustainable future environment. Like not not only just like climate wise, but also socially. Right? You want this to be sustainable and and a policy that will last for decades long or for decades. Because um, at, at the end of the day, you don't want some quick fix that a politician will come up just to get elected. You want something that'll work and actually create like a long term long term prospect for the for for the, the earth as a whole. And so at the end of the day, the biggest future I see with that is in geoengineering or like climate engineering in particular. So like there, there are a couple typical focuses when it comes to climate change policy. There's mitigation where uh, there's like typically regulations that the government puts in place to make sure that companies either like don't emit a certain amount of CO2 or are much more stringent with their with their production and innovation to make sure that they satisfy certain regulations. And while that's somewhat effective, at the end of the day, that doesn't really solve the big problem that we have in that uh, CO2 emissions, really kind of the, the, the global temperature is rising to a point that we can't control and realistically uh, like isn't, isn't going to get to a point uh, where we can revert. And so at the end of the day, we have to, we have to turn to more realistic alternative approaches so your 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 position is a lost cause as in well we've already done irreparable damage so let's just live with it and change it yeah because i mean at the end of the day right like climate scientists do say that we still have 10 years to revert the changes but that's with incredibly big changes in public policy that really i don't see as realistic uh, at the end of the day, like I just, I just don't see the United States and the rest of the world, for that matter, following those specific policies to revert um, our climate okay, back to something speaking. that's actually. I, I, I follow. I follow. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically, the other, the other two approaches then, after mitigation, that actually like are, that are actually action-based approaches, are either ad- adaptation. So where we, for example, like geoengineer our crops to become adapted to these hotter environments so that they still produce decent yields or um, we kind of deal and move, move on with really kind of the, the, the effects that we know about prior to the actual, prior to the actual inevitable uh, rise in temperatures. So for example, rising sea levels will eventually cause certain areas of the United States and the world to go underwater because of rising sea levels. And so... And so, like, we could create a program to re- relocate these individuals and make sure that at the end of the day, right, like, their, their home value, their equity isn't lost entirely. But I, I also don't see that as an entirely uh, reasonable plan in the sense that we don't really know the, the largest effects that this drastic change in climate is going to have on this world. We don't necessarily know um, how everybody will be affected. Like, we have some predictions we have some we have some general ideas, but we can't actually create something concrete until it actually happens. And so, creating this plan in advance, I don't see as reasonable in the sense that I don't see it actually functioning and working at the best. Uh, so just just 
backtrack as much as we can backtrack as much as we can but ultimately assume i mean touching briefly on our, our conversation last week but t- your, your argument is assume non-compliance and a plan for that rather than hope for compliance well that and also like we can't we we can't predict exactly what's going to happen right like we don't we we may have estimates we may have some scientists that think oh um, as a result of rising sea levels, we'll have these areas be under, and then this is our suggestion to what we. To well, I mean, I mean, those are those are just topographical. Maps. Exactly, and so those, those are the this more will concrete. Flood. That's not really up for the... Exactly. I mean, but, but my my point goes further than that. Is when when it comes to less like less predictable things, like for example, we don't know we don't know how our crop yields are going to be affected. We have preliminary studies. That are being done to see whether, like, how much this drastic change in temperature is actually going to so, crop yields so, and also, how, how it'll affect the global agriculture system as a whole. But we don't actually know what we don't actually know the concrete effect of this. And so I, I think cr- creating this like proactive plan is a good idea in theory, but at the end of the day, it won't work uh, because we won't we don't know the effects that this change in temperature will have until it'll actually happen. So, so, so on, on your point of, well, we don't really know, your plan is, a, we don't really know, and it could be absolutely terrible, so let's try to make it not be terrible, as opposed to, well, we don't really know, so let's just wait. Right. right. Well, like I, I understand you correctly. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not necessarily advocating for an action here. I'm just saying that, like, purely expecting ourselves to adapt to these to these like uh to these varying like to these varying effects that this change in climate will have is the wrong approach i believe and so that, that's where geoengineering comes in climate engineering in particular and so the, the prospect that i see with this is being able to create create an environment that's not necessarily the exact same as the one we had before, but one that one that won't balloon into something much more concerning, and um, and and really kind of like threaten the longevity of the human race and also also the world's ecosystem. And so there's a couple there's a couple of different um, approaches to geoengineering. So like typically typically there's either solar radiation management or the sequestration or the sequestration or like just in general, the removal of carbon from the atmosphere. There's a couple of approaches to this, like carbon capture um, and like storing it in like carbon capsules or uh, just pumping it straight down deep into the ground where it doesn't actually um, have an impact on the the atmosphere um, or the, the solar radiation so, management. As so so, so I understand with my limited environmental, not limited, Mr. Anderson was great, but um, but my understanding is that you replace the role of, say, permafrost by sequestering it underground. Yeah, it, if, effectively, that's the that's the whole goal of carbon capture. And so there's a couple of promising technologies and promising players within the field that are creating a couple of uh, in, interesting, uh, interesting solutions to it. But at the end of the day, these haven't. So I'm, I'm going to very I'm going to very quickly try and back you in the corner. Okay, for, for fun. Okay, go ahead. Go what, ahead. What, do, what do you, what do you, so the, would this be the, the leading point of your plan or would this be a segment? If this was part of a larger plan, would this be, hey, this should be the signature thing or is this just a component like 
well, ethanol. So, well, so geoengineering um, as a whole would be the signature, the signature like focus. So this of this would plan. be your key thing, like it, right? If you but went not out carbon pitch, capture, like, not purely carbon capture. Carbon capture would be pure, okay. Carbon capture would a be component. part. Yes, a component. But at the end of the day, there's another part of geoengineering that's also pretty promising, and that's with solar radiation radiation energy. And so there are a couple of different there's a couple of different approaches that scientists have come up with, and so there's. Um, and, and these all sound somewhat far-fetched, but at the end of the day, they're actually somewhat, they, they are scaled. And I'll start from the most far-fetched to actually the most realistic. So uh, one of the ideas that I thought was kind of funny and interesting was giant space mirrors, which would reflect sunlight and really kind of like prevent a ton of radiation from actually entering the atmosphere. Well, now, that's well, obviously not scalable. And I, I don't believe that's achievable in the sense that it sounds say, absurdly like, right, okay, expensive. I'll take that one. Okay. Right, but that, but that's, but that's kind of the idea of geoengineering is that it, it kind of like modifies, modifies the the way that either radiation is coming in or the way that it's reflected back into this, into space. And so, one one of the more promising approaches is actually using what's called the ocean mirror effect and cloud thinning. And so, effectively, how that works. Is the ocean mirror effect? Um, the ocean mirror effect uses uh, this, this this like sea foam to create to create and kind of like uh, to create this to like make, layer of to, albedo to, reflecting like albedo reflecting sea surface area. So uh, it, it would create so what the, you do. You make the ocean less capable to absorb heat. That and also much it, it makes it more reflective because I, I don't understand entirely the science of it. I'm not one of these climate engineers that came up with it, but my my understanding is you create like these little micro bubbles. You don't fully understand something. That's the whole point of this podcast. Julian. What are you talking about? <laughs> wow, wow, you're really gonna roast me on that for not understanding like technicalities um, you don't understand of chemistry the idea of reflecting what is what the fuck did you say? Albedo. <laughs> no, 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 it cre- it, cre- it it creates this layer of like it creates this layer of like micro bubbles on the sea, which reflect away sunlight acting like acting effectively like white snow, right? Not, not to that same degree. How how does that impact wildlife? It's, it's not, it's not a huge impact on wildlife. Often, oftentimes this would just be like very, like on the surface. um, And it it really wouldn't have an effect. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm confused. So if it's, but the radio, if the radiation is bouncing off the water is already in the ocean, shouldn't it just get, don't you still get greenhouse effect though? You do, you do, but a little bit less of it. No, wouldn't you get more because more is being reflected back into the atmosphere? No, more is being reflected back into space. That's my understanding. From the but to get to the water, it's got to go through the atmosphere. Right. But then it's not going to get back out. All right, I'll, I'll 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 fix my I'll fix my argument. I don't entirely understand this. Like, I don't entirely understand this. Like, uh, no, I, I don't. Effect. I don't understand like, it either. Like, now, this now is, I'm, like, I feel like I, I feel like I failed. I don't really get it either. But there must there must be some deeper understanding of it that, as people without science degrees, we just <laughs> we're missing like, that. Like, the big the big argument they make is just reflectivity um along the along the surface area that the ocean has um it may makes it 
makes it so that the greenhouse the greenhouse effect is less like prominent. Um, I don't exactly okay. understand the science of how they would create uh, them. I don't, yeah, okay, yeah. I don't understand pretend yet how, but okay. The, the, but there's but there's other there's other still like there's still other um, avenues for yeah, so let's go geoengineering. Through, let's go so some of the other components. The, the other one that I understand better and that actually makes a lot more sense intuitively is an, an idea called aerosol injection. And so what aerosol injection aims is mimic mimic the mimic the results of a volcano mimic the effects of a volcano eruption without actually having any of the without actually having any of the negative effects of having a large ash cloud within the atmosphere. And so, so, so I have, I have heard of this before, but we talked about this, I think at one point, it sounds familiar. So the cooling effect of a volcano minus the nauseous gases from the volcano. Right, right. So it's like, although, although scientists aren't exactly sure of which types of aerosols to use that, they are aware of several that would have the same effect without being detrimental to well human life and life in general, right? So the one concern with that is um, its actual implementation. Like it, it needs to be carefully done to the point where it doesn't actually impact. Um, it doesn't actually impact rainfall cycles. That's the big concern. Is that like, no, if don't fuck it up, right? Like if you, if you <laughs> screw if you screw this up, um, it, it affects rainfall patterns, especially in areas with like large monsoon seasons. And so like, as long as it's done um, somewhat far away from those, typically like away from any, like I, I think the way I understand it is away from any climate extremes, then uh, it, it would have a much better effect on, on the, the overall reflectivity of our atmosphere as a whole. And so that's, that's the other more like promising ones. And there's a couple more, but at the end of the day, the reason I view geoengineering as most promising is just because it's easiest to get behind. It's easiest to fund. Uh, I, I think it's easiest to fund these projects. And also at the end of the day, they're much more, uh, they, they have much clearer uh, metrics for measuring how well they're actually doing. Okay, that makes sense. I, I understand, I, so I understand that, that point. How much would this all cost? Um, perpetual, really? Perpetual, perpetual demol, like, Relative to other, um, I don't want to. I don't want to get into a, a raw numbers argument because that's that's dumb and boring even for us. But I mean, relative to other other plans that might primarily focus on, say, wind or solar or. Well, so that's a really good question, <laughs> and my the best answer I want to give to this is really however much uh, governments want to actually put into it. And uh, that, that may seem like a cop-out answer, but if I explain it, it, it'll make a little bit more sense, right? Like geoengineering, you can put a ton of money into it and really kind of spearhead so you get in. in what you, you, you get out what you put in. Right? Yeah, that's, that, that's the biggest argument. argument is like, if you put a ton of money into innovation, that's going to, that's going to create ideas that are much more scalable. But if you put in less money, right? Like maybe the ideas are still going to be as effective, but they're not going to be as scalable or at least as cheap to scale. So like at the end of the day, it depends on how much, for example, the United States and other countries that want to implement this idea want to actually contribute to it. 
And so I can't, I can't give specific numbers because these are all, these are all preliminary ideas and the, the actual technology hasn't been refined to the point where it's uh, scalable simply because the government hasn't put any money into it. There's, there's been no incentive for scientists to scale this, right? Like, so they, they come up with this idea, it looks promising. And so that's where, that's where I believe it's the government's job or some kind of like angel entity to fund, fund this to the point where it, it creates something of value. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm gonna be honest, it's late night. I don't have that much fight in me. <laughs> so I won't, I won't rip into you as much this week and you'll, you'll find that I might just kind of take some hits. <laughs> That's all good. Tonight. It's all good. But, um, so what's the, the long how how expandable how I'm looking for the the correct words how much could you expand it into i can't i can't figure out the right words oh okay i got it sorry what would be the jobs effect on this cuz that's the other thing about these green tech green technologies that tends to be a, a source of snafu for a lot of these plans is well what can I do with jobs and are these jobs going places? This is more in the political feasibility of, of plants mm-hmm. than simple feasibility, but are these jobs where people need jobs, I guess, as in, well, I'll, I'll point to solar panels cause it's not a, a key component of my plan, but solar panels creates lots of jobs, but not where people in the coal and natural gas would lose jobs. Making solar panel jobs in California is great, but that doesn't help people in Kentucky. Well, so I, I don't I don't disagree with that at all, right? But at the end of the day, you shouldn't view geoengineering as the big technology that's going to take away all of the other, um, like all the all the other industries within this within the economy. I geoengineering is more of a niche industry where where really kind of all the expertise. All the all the jobs would be would be technical and actual production jobs, um, right? Like oh, it, it, it would it would it would fall into actually scaling up these ideas. So once they've been, once they've been created and refined to the point where they're actually implementable, then the jobs come in and actually producing it and um, and kind of like dispersing this, like specifically for example, like like uh, cloud thinning, right? So or or like or, or uh, the, 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 the like aerosol injection, right? Like we would create these technologies and we would have individuals that would implement them, but that has no impact on individuals, say, within the coal industry because they're, they would still have the same exact jobs as they did before. It's not, it's, not, it's not an industry that would take away, um, take away anybody's job. Okay, so wouldn't take away jobs. So... I mean, realistically, this wouldn't be the be-all, end-all of a plan, right? This is not the no, no technology is the saving grace, but this certainly isn't. Essentially, is what you're saying, right? Yeah. But okay, so so I I, I understand your argument that though I, I understand your argument to being that though we should work for the best. Mm-hmm. Or that we, we should 
we should try to get the best that we can, but we shouldn't plan for everything to go smoothly. And not only, but further than that, you should plan for everything to go poorly. Kind of, yeah. More, more which is so not much. a bad, which is, which is not a, a unique to climate science uh, planning here. In, no, of course one. not. It's like I'm, I'm relatively cynical when it comes to actually believing in like these grand political or these grand political solutions because at the end of the day, oftentimes they're not actually things that would be implemented or things that would be followed, followed through. And so I, I, I see this as something easier to easier to do and much easier of a pill to swallow for maybe people that are concerned about like uh, because it, it's really like not politicians goals being too high well, for the environment. well if it's easy to swallow is it really doing much yeah i believe so the, this this would be this would be limiting the impact and limiting how far past the but it doesn't limit production though that's the that, that's one key aspect i mean you don't limit production of fossil fuels but does Here's the thing, though. It's not. It's not like it, it's a direct competitor to fossil fuels, right? Like, if you if you look at, for example, the electric vehicle industry and the renewable energy industry, right? It is a direct competitor to fossil fuels. You're saying it's, it's meant so, okay, to be an so, alternative. So, so right? your point. Your point is rather than compete, you counter you you implement countermeasures rather than compete against it. Right, and that that doesn't mean you shouldn't, like, for example, regulate the the fossil fuel industry. I believe it should be regulated, and I believe in a complete restructuring and kind of like reinstatement of the EPA's regulatory and enforcement abilities because they've really kind of been diminished recently with the whole with, with Trump with the Trump administration. Yeah, well, but, you know, when you, I think we're we're both in the sense of gutting blindly gutting regulation is not a sufficient yeah. way to make to make long-term changes although you, you might be right you could point right. to texas and be like oh short-term growth well yeah and at the at the end of the day right the, like the biggest argument i can make for it is that it's not a competitor to any of the other industries that that are currently kind of like fueling this economy right it would just be more of a countermeasure to prevent things from getting much worse because at the end of the day, it is going to get worse, right? And I, I don't believe that any amount of rhetoric will will prevent that. But I, I think we can still uh, make it so that it's like bad, but not awful. Okay, so I, I understand your, your your point is rather than try to go head to head against the industries and have to deal with the um. The, the real consequences of potentially putting people out of work. Instead, you just bypass it through um, by going, by cleaning, like, I don't want to say cleaning up the the mess, but... I mean, that that is a pretty good way of putting it, though. Like, it, it really is kind of cleaning up the mess, but doing it in a sustainable way. But like doing it in a way that's okay, non-detrimentally. So that's to just the a, that's just a fundamentally different philosophy than I, than I hold to what's the best way to um to combat this problem. So what what is your what is your solution? So I love that I love that we agreed on that that being a good segue. Yeah, so, that was a pretty good segue. Very clean. As you may not or may or may not have picked picked up on 
on my on our wonderful drive. Oh wait, no, you weren't in the car. Never mind. I was gonna say on our wonderful drive down to U of I, but you were at U of I, so you weren't in the car for the drive. Yeah, that that's kind of what happens when you're not in the car. Yeah, you know what? Hear conversation. Yeah, I was referencing a conversation that you weren't there for, and also the listener wouldn't be here for. So I don't know why I was gonna do that. But so on the we drove down from Chicago to U of I. And we saw wind turbines, and it kind of sparked, it set off a lot of gears in my head, not limited to. So, what conclusion did you draw that they cause cancer? Yes, windmills cause cancer, and windmills with Wi Fi give you cancer and headaches together. No, they also give you AIDS. Don't forget about that one. I don't know about that one. No. But yes, windmills definitely cause cancer. So, on the drive down to U of I, we drove by some windmills, and I thought, oh, well. It feels like there should be more. So that's my principal technology. It's not like geothermal isn't a be-all, end-all. Wind turbines certainly aren't a be-all, end-all. And like we got into weeds last week about, if you want to transition an economy to clean energy, guess what? You got to spend fossil fuels to, in this case, build wind turbines. <laughs> um, I focus a little more on the political feasibility than Elon did. Maybe because mine directly competes with fossil fuels, so you, you kind of got to, not to say that yours doesn't deal with it, but you're more directly responsible for what happens in people's jobs. So I actually found this wonderful map. I'll put it in the Slack channel for you, Ela. It'll be in the description of this podcast. It's an interactive map about where wind turbines are and i got really into the weeds about well where are they actually putting them in the u.s and there are some on the eastern seaboard some in massachusetts still boston a couple offshore ones especially off of long island and rhode island some in upstate new york which i was really surprised to see I really through there's some in new york, york. I, I see i was surprised too i was just up there and i i didn't see any but Apparently, there were some on my route, and I just didn't notice. Wow. Um, a couple along. These ones are actually five-meter ones up on 90, so those don't really count. It also shows you the height of them, so you can get a good sense of the capacity. And then, so this is what I was really interested in. There's a strip of about between 50 and 100 that run from central PA down south all the way into West Virginia. And that was key evidence of something that I was looking to back up of, well, how feasible are these in places that people need jobs, where if you promote alternative technology energy, which definitely includes wind turbines, and my argument is this should be, from a political aspect, this should be our number one champion device, because we don't need to import a whole lot of rare metals like you do for solar panels which means that they can be built in the U.S. They can prop up our manufacturing industry, especially in the Rust Belt along the Great Lakes, because the turbines are just so large, easier to move them by boat than by truck. And Mm -hmm. lucky for us, we have five Great Lakes up along the Rust Belt to move wind turbines along that whole area. And then we can move them down the Mississippi and... Actually, I don't know if you could move wind turbines down the Mississippi. It might get too tipsy, windy. 
when when there's uh, a will, there's a way. What? You know, most of the time, but these places. Julian, you don't transport the whole wind turbine. You don't like build the entire thing and plop it on a boat, right? It's it's little pieces. So you can put it all into like a nice shipping container. No, it's not actually. Really? I thought that too. No, you move the big blades in conjunction with each other. Which the big big blades are already like assembled. Yeah, so one giant blade at a time, which I thought was fascinating because it seems incredibly efficient, inefficient. But because you have to have a shop so big to put it together in, there's not very many options. So it's better to just build them wherever you can and move them in one big pieces and moving the smaller pieces and building them closer to your installation site. I know. Which wow. I thought was absolutely fascinating. That's pretty interesting. Wow. And then so back to other places where they're really present. Northern Michigan, around north of Detroit, there were there's a ton. If you if you go look at that map, there's a more than there are anywhere else in on the eastern or in the Rust Belt. Uh-huh. Some in Illinois, some in Indiana, which I thought was surprising. A huge concentration of large ones in this area, hundred and 105 meters that's 300 feet tall it's a giant thing that you know and it kills all the birds according to the president but you know that's i mean you know what honestly they caught the birds slipping (laughs) and then so if you as you go westward there are some in the there are a lot in the great basin your joke was terrible per usual i think it's so funny i'm sorry there's a big cluster in the great basin which makes sense that's where there's a lot of wind. There should be a lot of wind turbines there. A lot more in Texas than I expected in North Texas. Wow. Um, Oklahoma, again, a lot more than I expected, which well, I always Texas find... and Oklahoma are very flat, so they're pretty good at, pretty good locations to put a turbine. Yeah, but, I mean, judging on the position of, I guess that may be just a bias of myself being more federally inclined than locally inclined, I feel like that doesn't really match the position of their representatives so that's always interesting too some in arizona and then out to cali north of la there's a fairly large cluster out by your your favorite city and then i went north to san francisco and if you go and see that patch you may recognize May not even show the town. Rio Vista is somewhere over there. I don't know exactly where. But that giant field there is the only... California is really behind in solar or in in wind implementation, which I, again, thought was really interesting. So can I I ask a question? Because this is the question I always ask when, when I'm confronted with someone who really, like, loves wind energy. What makes wind energy so how many much other, better? How many people do you know who realize wind energy? What? This is one guy, my friend, who talks about it a lot, actually. He's a really interesting character. But, oh. like, he, he's a big proponent of, like, wind and solar energy. And so so what what we talk about a lot is why, like, I ask him often, like, why do you think wind and solar energy is better than, say, nuclear energy? Because, like, 
from my perspective, right? I th- I think like nuclear, like a nuclear plant could replace. Make more jobs than wind turbines. It would it would make more jobs than wind turbines, and it would also just be more efficient. Like I I see it as like cheaper, um, because it's much more scalable. But it's not safer. Why not? Why not? Nuclear energy is incredibly safe. It's it's this big misconception that nuclear energy is absurd. The other thing is, is you get so much more NIMBY from. Uh, nuclear energy than you do solar. So oh, yeah, like, hey, solar energy here. sounds a lot better, but at the end of the day, right, nuclear energy is like on paper and even in practice, like more effective. Well, so a lot of the reason for political efficacy on paper versus the political landscape is definitely there's, there's a big gap between them. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't speak as well to the on paper difference just because you're you're weighing what kind of benefits you get. Mm-hmm. Nuclear plants provides some jobs, wind turbines provide other jobs, and mm-hmm. so it's the it comes into some issues where you can't put a nuclear plant in Wyoming. Yeah, it's just not a, a good a good cooling supply there. Mm-hmm. But on the political aspect. Some on the left oppose it as an energy method, and I'm I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but some on the left oppose that energy method because it allows other nations to point and say, "Hey, why don't we get to use nuclear?" And then if you're just letting eventually, the the notion is that if you start using it, other countries will justify it in the name of climate change, and eventually bad actors will use them for non-climate related. Well, but purposes is that really so bad like well I, maybe maybe i well, just don't well, understand well, that no, argument well, 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 well. i just i just the argument, the argument is that it leads to the collapse of, of that it, it gives states a legitimate excuse to pursue nuclear power which eventually leads to bad actors in some states possessing nuclear weapons that it's it's a stretch I'll give it that, but that, that's what that honestly is. sounds like. I, I don't want to belittle your argument, but that sounds like the biggest like lump of who I have ever heard. Like, I, I it's I not, think... it's not my argument. It's not my argument. I'm just trying to tell you why many plans don't include it mm-hmm. is that expanding, expanding the use of nuclear power mm-hmm. will in turn expand the use of the possess the rate of possession of nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. And it's tough to study that because you, you don't want to be wrong, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to you don't want to say, oh well, I don't think it'll do anything. So let's give all these states nuclear weapons or nuclear power plants, and then eventually a bad actor gets a, we- a weapon. Like, oh, shock! My theory was wrong. Like people aren't eager to test it out in the real environment. So I mean, I I, I mean, I, backed with backed with strong. Uh, inspections regimes and regulations probably probably take care of it but as, as we've seen even strong inspection regimes are subject to um, changes in administration we'll, mm-hmm. we'll just pin that <laughs> I mean look I, 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 it's it's not that I don't see where that argument comes from I totally understand where they like, get those ideas it's just I see it being so outlandish that it shouldn't necessarily be much of a consideration when deciding whether or not 
um, to choose nuclear energy. I mean, it should play a factor, right? Even if I mean, a, yeah, a it's one, a factor. If there's but, a 1% chance that a bad actor won't get it, well, that's 1% more than you get with wind turbines. I mean, that, 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 that's, that's definitely fair. But so is your argument then to use entirely like wind and solar energy and replace our energy system with that, like our whole energy ecosystem with that? Well, you, you can't, right, dismantling the U.S. economy, the energy economy in the U.S. right now is simply not set up to be fully on renewables. It's, we're, it's just not designed like that purely from a battery standpoint, let alone the ability to generate power on its own. So, Wait, what, what do you mean what ability to generate power on its own? If you switch purely to renewables, right now the infrastructure doesn't exist to power the U.S. Yeah, yeah, because we we don't have enough renewable energy plants. Yeah, it, so, I, so I, it's a simple you question. You, so I'm saying I'm saying you couldn't you couldn't flip the switch and say, hey, in five years, we're putting we're going to be 100% renewable. So there would have to be a component in that transition period, and what that transition period looks like is, well, that's the whole thing. But you can see, if you look at that map, and at least I can envision it, where you fill in these pots, where it's just a wall of green, of turbines in the Great Basin, and in Arizona and Southern California, where you get the highest, the most amount of peak solar hours and mm-hmm. in a given day, you load that up with solar panels and wind turbines anywhere else you can. And okay. maybe the plan but, does have to include, new, maybe it does have to include nuclear energy on the Great Lakes. Well, I feel like yeah, that was, that was, don't like that. That was, that's what else <laughs> but, I was going to say is like, well, what about in areas that like aren't very conducive to solar energy? Like we, like we, we I live in the, we live in Illinois. I, I'll still say we. Ah, um, uh, not for long. All right, shut up, Julian. Um, we we live in Illinois, right? And it's not it's not a very like conducive environment to have like all, all your solar like an all your solar system. Right? Yeah, all your, like, you can't go to Illinois and be like, hey, we're gonna power the whole state on solar. Right, like that's just that's, that's just this, that that's not gonna work, right? And so like then you eventually have to go to like nuclear energy or some other form of like still sustainable and still like still not non like non detrimental I mean, energy you're still pr- Illinois, relatively clean Illinois does have the potential Illinois as a as a, a test case does have the potential for turbines but i understand that like if you look at this map Kentucky Mississippi Louisiana Alabama Atlanta Georgia or Atlanta is a city in Georgia it's not a state Georgia South Carolina North Carolina they have almost zero wind turbines and their peak sun hours are four and a half off this map which is also in the slack and which will also be in the podcast description we should have a better way of doing this i i don't know off the top of my head we'll try and figure something out for the future so you can look at the charts that we're looking at i feel like maybe podcast shouldn't rely on visuals actually so we'll work on that (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know, it's all, it's all, it's all uh, for in the name of progress. You know, we learn from our uh, dumb mistakes, our develop, our development process. But so, it could be as a result of cultural opposition, of regional opposition, but also it's a, simply a product of the environment there. 
it, it's wooded. It makes it hard to put in wind turbines, although they're having a pretty easy time in West Virginia and Pennsylvania. It makes it tougher and less appealing. And then there's no market for solar there. Okay. Especially anywhere it snows. So transitioning the economy needs to also focus on plans on a state you there's not a one-size-fits-all solution no definitely not like different different states are better suited like for example for example in states that get a ton of sun and that are constantly like uh constantly like arizona yeah arizona is a perfect state to implement solar they don't really need wind they can get by on solar Right, like because it's just a perfect place to implement it. And also, honestly, like it might, I haven't done the math on it because that's a lot of like, that's a lot of really like just technical calculations based on data that I actually probably can't get. But at the, at the end of the day, right, like I, I think solar energy, like just, just by rough estimate, would be about the same price as nuclear energy in a state like Arizona because like the output that it would create and if we end up finding a way to store all this energy would be enough to counterbalance the initial startup costs of nuclear energy hey go look at but when you when you look at like a state like when you look at a state like alaska for example right i I use that as an extreme because you definitely can't have like solar panels in alaska simply because of the they snow. do have a couple wind turbines actually they have, I, well they have a couple wind turbines but it, it's not it's not something i see as being very sustainable oh, wait, no that's not a wind turbine that's just a, a, a colored blob never mind no they, yeah, i no, think these more. are turbines no these are turbines there there are two in it. there are three 60 foot ones and so there's a couple no, no, no there's a, couple there's actually there's actually some in right next to Anchorage. But regardless, though, like Alaska is just not a good place to have wind turbines. And that's fine because that's just how geography works, right? But like at, at the end of the day, it'd be better suited for a different type of clean energy. Um, but like what other clean energy do we have? Like what other clean energy solutions do we have other than wind and solar that isn't nuclear? Hydroelectric, but limited. Well, we have hydroelectric, but would that work in Alaska? Like, no, it's, no. Just, so it's just like that, my, that's that's the other thing is zero emissions is likely not an end game for everyone. I mean, even just ten like, percent. If you got down to ten percent of current levels, that'd be a, a something worth. Oh no, that'd be excellent. I don't, I don't disagree with you on that, but. What, what a, but my whole argument with that is right like you could just slap like maybe 10 20 nuclear plants in alaska no no almost no emissions very safe right like in especially in alaska too like it, it would be even less of a concern like safety would be even like or it, it would be safer right like if, if your whole concern is nuclear energy being near like cities with like huge populations right you wouldn't have to worry about that as much in Alaska. It'd right? be contained. So, I get what you're saying. It'd, yeah. It'd be contained. And so at, at the end of the day, I feel like I feel like if you vilify nuclear energy to the point where you say like, okay, well, just because we have this um, huge fear that another country might adopt it, and then after they might adopt it, they might go bad. And after they might go bad, they might start using their nuclear energy, like their but nuclear I, plans for nefarious. Like I, I, I just see of... that as I see that as something like a limiting factor too, 
progress when at the end of the day we should be more focused on like on creating like as on on like producing zero emissions i i understand that point i think on that note we can uh wrap up this week's episode of food Che. it might be a little bit shorter than last week just because we are it is now midnight on the, oh yeah uh, that's right on the east coast <laughs> east so, coast time who uses thank that? you for turning in and listening to this week i don't have a good transitionary tease so you'll have to wait till next week to find out what the next episode is going to be i have been julian morgan and this was Ilya chudov and this is fuche thank you